Welcome to Lessons for Living Television. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. You know, every so often on the program, we uh, like to bring you um, life experiences, stories of individuals that have gone through a transformation uh, in their life. And today is no exception. I've invited here into the studio today a friend of mine. His name is Matt Feely. And Matt has an incredible story to tell you about the transformation that can occur in a life when you allow Jesus to perform that miracle. Matt, welcome to Lessons for Living Television. Thanks, Bill. So um, you have an incredible story. I've heard it before. I wanted you to be on the program because I know a lot of our viewers will benefit from what the Lord has done in your life. And so let's just start at the beginning. Like, tell us a little bit about where you were born, you know, where you grew up as a kid. And uh, so folks begin to get a better sense of who you are and where you're from. Well, I was born and raised in the uh, city of Toronto. I was born uh, downtown Toronto at St. Michael's Hospital. Uh, we didn't live downtown, but I grew up in a very uh, strong Catholic tradition. And my father was insistent that all of his children had to be born at St. Michael's Hospital. Oh, wow. So even though we lived in the East End, um, somehow uh, they made it to St. Mike's. And uh, that's where I was born, along with my siblings. That's where they were the born as well. And I grew up in Scarborough. Uh, I'm the youngest of six children. Okay. And um, I was the only one that uh, was born in that particular neighborhood. Um, actually, my family, you know, they were living comfortably and they were living um, in a nice house in a nice, uh, nicer part of Scarborough, like down in, down in the Bluffs area. Okay. Um, and doing very well, uh, but things took a turn for the worse and there were some challenges uh, financially and just challenges overall in the family. So by the time I was born, we had um, downgraded, so to speak. Okay. And we were living in Metro housing. We were living at uh, Kingston Galloway. And it's, uh, you know, at times it's been identified as one of the worst neighborhoods in Toronto. Um, and that's where we were. And it, it was pretty rough, uh, but that's what I knew. In a way, I, I grew up as an only child. And I so just- So how much older are your siblings than you? you yeah. You're, you're, you, I mean, you're the youngest, right? You I'm said. the youngest. I'm the youngest of six. Uh, and then the ages range. Uh, next to me, it's about six years difference. Okay. And then goes up to about 12 years difference. So my siblings say that I kind of grew up as an only child. Right. Because everyone was already grown up and I was the baby. And I had a totally different experience than everyone else um, in the way that I grew up, in the setting I grew up in. So it was unique for sure. Um, you know, we, we, we loved each other. You know, um, my siblings are great. Um, my parents were great too and never questioned their love for me. But they had a very toxic relationship, you know, and that's the best way to describe it as... Uh, as one of an extended family member said at my father's funeral, they said, you know, your parents were both beautiful individuals and uh, great people, but they had a terrible relationship. Mm. So it was very much like a war of roses. Wow. And uh, we as children were, you were in, the in the midst of that. Of and well, it, it must have been tough for your dad yeah. too, man, to move, you know, from having a relatively comfortable life, finding himself. Yeah. In, uh, 
subsidize housing. I mean, that's very difficult. It was difficult for both my parents, um, and they have an incredible story as well. Um, from what I know, I don't know if I know all the details, uh, but they shared as much as uh, they could, I guess, with me before they passed away. Um, but my father was a millionaire at one time. Wow. And uh, you can actually look up his story uh, in the Toronto papers. But uh, he was, uh, you know, he grew up in the Great Depression. My father was quite old. Uh, he was 60 when I was born. So he was kind of trying to uh, impersonate Abraham, I think, Abraham <laughs> and Sarah. And, uh, you know, he, he lived quite a colored life before that. And uh, he was, he kind of grew up with nothing. He grew up in Mimico, just outside of Toronto. Um, kind of in a sad situation, like his father was a very severe alcoholic. And there was about 10 children, and his mother just did everything to support the family and keep them going. And they were on social assistance, and they would have to go to the coal heap, the mimical coal heap, uh, and scoop coal as children and run newspaper routes. And it was a different life. And he didn't grow up with much of an education. Um, but he eventually, um, you know, was a millionaire, and wow. he, he made uh, a lot of money. Uh, a lot of it, I think, was made illegally. He was running like gambling houses and some illegal gambling organizations in Toronto, and he was involved in all sorts of mining uh, expeditions in northern Ontario. He was funding them and going up uh, with geologists, doing all kinds of crazy adventures. And uh, you know, he talked about how he he had someone uh, kill a bear for him, and he sent the skin home on a train. Um, but it never reached home. Someone scooped it. And he had these amazing right. stories. Um, but his empire came crashing down um, in the 60s. And he went to uh, jail, and he had some serious charges laid upon him. And he served about two years' time. And he lost a lot of his money during that time, sure, you know, all the legal fees and yeah, so on. And then he came out of jail, and here he was, like, kind Almost of starting from scratch again, eh? Middle age, kind of starting from scratch, no education. And, uh, but he still had some money, and uh, my, my mother and him, you know, they were together, and they were used to living a very lavish life. And uh, he owned several properties in Toronto, and they, they lived a good life, and they had good taste, and... But it just, uh, the way my father described it is um, the box. He talked about this box, and that's how he referred to his money. I don't know if there was an actual box, but he just talked about how the box was full. And then he got arrested, and then he went to jail, and the box got empty and empty and empty, and pretty much the box was completely empty at one time, and they had to sell everything, and there they were. You know, he was about 60. And he was back at the bottom, kind of back where he started. And uh, then I was born. <laughs> so you're growing up in this, in this environment. Yeah. You've got this, your dad's got this history that you know he's working through. And so yeah. uh, you're 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 going to school as a young man, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, how's life for you know for for Matt at? Well, you know, again, you know, as a young man yeah, going to school, and it it was you know I had a lot of. Uh, really good supports and uh, family was amazing, you know. I get emotional just thinking about it. But it was hard, it was hard. Um, my parents, their relationship was, was so uh, 
deteriorated by the time I was born that I don't have any um, memory of them having like a civil conversation. Wow. And then my father had a very, you know, rich uh, Catholic tradition as a very strong Catholic because he, he too uh, was an alcoholic. And as he came out of his uh, addiction, you know, he got back to his roots and his Catholic faith. And as a very strong Catholic, you know, he, he was very strong in, in the sense of family and, and that families, you know, stay together at all costs. But, uh, you know, they really struggled to have a happy family. And uh, I think as children, we, t we took a hit, you know, and, and we sure, felt it's it take a toll, yeah. trickled down. And even my siblings uh, growing up, so I would see my, my parents fighting and kind of crazy. I mean, I mentioned War of the Roses, and I don't know if I've ever watched the movie completely, but I know about it. And, and uh, my, parent, my mother used to joke about it, but they would do crazy things to each other, you know. Um, and and hurt each other and and sometimes police would be called and it was a war and then my siblings were older they were teenagers eventually adults and i watched as they kind of had their feuds and their fighting and i was so little that i just didn't comprehend it well, and i didn't right. have the capacity right, of course to engage in that type of behavior and so I was just so were you sort to of just bottling it. everything up inside. I mean, did yeah. you talk to anybody about it, or did you well, have... you know what? I don't think so. I, I don't. I, I mean, I did as I reached my uh, teen years. There was clearly a problem, like, and there was a lot of pain, and and that's that's really I think what happens to a lot of people is that we're hurting, right? We have legitimate needs, but sometimes we meet them in illegitimate ways, and. Uh, you know, I was hurting. Um, I had a good uh, childhood. I think, you know, I really struggled with self-esteem and uh, confidence at times, but I was always engaged in sports and, uh, and I was very smart, you know. Um, I was identified as, as gifted when mm. I was in elementary school. I'm not sure if that's something they still do, but I just remember being in like grade four and our class took a test, and then from that, uh, three of us advanced, kinda, and we took another test, kinda like with a social worker one-on-one. -on -one. And then from that, two of us were identified as uh, gifted, and we went to a special class uh, once a week. And, you know, so there was, there was uh, strong intelligence and, you know, I guess, ability, but I, I didn't have the confidence to apply it yes. and I wasn't that interested and uh, so I missed a lot of those opportunities and, and didn't really take advantage of them. You know, I tried to avoid going to school. I didn't like being at school and uh, I was able, you know, I guess you learn at a young age how to survive and how to manipulate and I was able to uh, kind of work with my mom and sometimes miss school when I shouldn't miss school and kind of pit my mom against my father and you know I was doing this at a young age and um, and I was missing school and wasn't applying myself and that was kind of my elementary experience and then as I reached high school doing some of the same things but then uh, and still hurting and still struggling and you know becoming a young man and you know, more emotions and probably more things going on that I didn't understand. Um, 
and uh, just started to experiment with drugs. Um, my siblings were very good. The thing about my family is, uh, you know, they, they've always looked out for me and, you know, I, I was always the baby. So, right. you know, they always wanted the best for me. But, you know, I, I watched kind of how they lived and yeah. a lot of them were young teenagers or young adults and a lot of people as they as they did they you know were partying and doing some different things and i watched it sometimes i was at the party because sometimes the party was at our house right and uh so sometimes you know i would i would take a beer and drink it myself you know just and how, like, i mean how were you you're a high school kid at this point no i was probably doing that when when i was in elementary school wow. and uh you know, I was kind of just learning what I was seeing. Well, that's what you knew, too, yeah. right? I mean, so much of it and, is, and I is, think is learned them, behavior, right? For, th for them, I think, as well, like, they did. it was kind of harmless, they felt, you know, like, they, they weren't really, like, getting me drunk or anything, but I was in that environment at times, and I was watching these teenagers grow up, these hurting teenagers, which I would become, and I was sitting there watching it and kind of learning that behavior, too, but I think I, uh, I took it to another level, you know? I uh, went to high school, I had friends, uh, and they, they started to experiment with things a lot sooner than I did. And I held off for a while and uh, did some drinking and things like that, even, even in my first year of high school. But uh, after my first year of high school, I don't know what happened, but it's like any reservation or fear I had kind of went out the window. Mm. And I started, I had my friends at school that would do their social partying weekends and stuff. They actually, a lot of them were very good students still. And, uh, you know, they did very well at, in school, but they would find time to have a good time and, you know, do, I guess, what a lot of teenagers do. But then I found uh, a group of friends uh, in my neighborhood. I had grown up with uh, two twin brothers and we were always very close and okay. they were like, they were like the brothers I never had because they were closer Close to my age. age. Yes. Yeah. But they started to get into trouble. And we were living in Kingston Galloway. It was easy to get into trouble. There was a lot of drugs, a lot of crack addiction, um, gangsters, you know. You know, that's you know, that's a term you don't hear a lot in, in a real context, but it was a real context. And um, you know, we we ended up getting in with a group of people that they were young, like 14, 15, 16, maybe 17, 18, some of them. They were all older, older than me. And by the time I was like 14, I was with these guys. And all we did was party. That was, every day was a party. So it started off kind of small for me. Um, you know, I started smoking marijuana. And it just escalated. And uh, it didn't take long. And eventually, I was actually taking it to a new level. And I, I was surpassing some of them and the things I was doing and experiencing. Still attempting to deal with this hurt. Yeah, at the end of the day, I know that's what was happening. I just couldn't see it or understand it. And I think my family knew, too. They, um, they knew I was hurting. My father, who at this point would have been about, you know, 74, he, uh, he knew, like... You, you could see it, right? Um, I was out late at night. I would come home kind of not in a good state or 
just smelling different and uh, you know missing mm. school and he would he actually made a strong effort he would try and drive me to school every day Wow I would wait he'd draw me off I'd slip into a door where I, I knew I wouldn't be noticed and I'd wait for him to leave I'd slip back out jump on the bus and go back to Scarborough stuff like that uh, he took me to he took me to North York General uh, Hospital at one point in Toronto and they had like a youth crisis center and uh, he took me there to try and get some counseling, which was good. Yes. And uh, there was a few like interventions like that that had an impact, but they didn't they didn't resolve what I was going through. So the, he was trying. My right. my sisters, um, my brothers, I don't think knew what to do. They well, they, your dad probably saw the pattern. Yeah, so he recognized it. Right? Yeah, I don't think my uh, my brothers knew what to do. You know, sometimes as men, we don't know how to have those heart-to-hearts. Yes. And uh, sometimes we're not able to verbalize our emotions and our concerns. But uh, my sisters were the opposite. They're very vocal, and uh, they they really tried to intervene because they could see. You know, one one time my sister uh, she borrowed a coat of mine to go to the store. She found like a hash pipe and some other stuff and uh, another time she found pictures you know uh, we didn't have smartphones back then and uh, Instagram <laughs> but we used to buy disposable cameras I don't know what we were doing but we would buy disposable cameras we take them to parties and we would just take pictures of everything and we'd get the stuff developed and just laugh at it you know and I had these pictures in my pocket or something and she found the pictures and uh, you know she had a breakdown and a meltdown and my mom did, my father did, and so there was these series of interventions that would come, and my older sister was living in Ottawa, and there was a time I got arrested, and uh, I was picked up late at night, just kind of a spot check, and they found a knife on me, and uh, it wasn't really even much of a knife, that's the funny thing about it, it was just a pocket knife, but it had this like big, long, jagged like letter opener on it, and that's why I used to carry it. I felt like that was even better than the pocket knife. And uh, I used to carry it because, you know, we, we, we would see fights. Like, I would go to parties, and I wasn't a fighter. Like, I'm a lover, not a hater. <laughs> and uh, I have to be really upset to, to go there. Right. But I had friends, they would look for fights. So and just, go ahead. Go, go ahead. And so just, we would be in these settings, and crazy fights would break out. And... I was always trying to protect myself and just avoid the fight. And this but one your night, life I is got spinning out of control. It's out of control. I got arrested, it's, and you're, you're, I mean, your your dad's doing whatever you know, whatever he can. Yeah. Your siblings, but then something happens. We got yeah. about five minutes left. Mm-hmm. I want to get to this part of the yeah. of your story because all of a sudden something does work for you. What happens? Well, um, when I was about uh, sixteen. I was really at a bottom. Um, things had escalated over time. I was going to a lot of raves in downtown Toronto, and uh, it was all access, right? Any age. We were doing crystal meth, we were doing co- cocaine, we were doing ecstasy, we were doing almost anything you could imagine under the sun. And uh, I just felt terrible, though. Like, I was sick, I was skinny, I was like just unhappy. And no matter what I did, I just felt more unhappy. 
And you know what? I started a job and started to slow down with my partying. And um, I started to search and, and want to find God. And um, I just felt like I wanted something more. Friends at school, there was a group of them, even though they were still smoking and stuff, we'd go and smoke and then we'd be chatting about like Buddha and we'd chat about Confucius. And every now and again, we'd talk about Jesus. Mm. And we talked about like the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And I started reading the Bible. I started searching. Um, my girlfriend, um, she invited me to go to church. And uh, I went to church with her and her mom. And um, it was a Seventh-day Adventist church. And it was a week of prayer. And we went to the week of prayer. And I just went, you know, to try and make her mom happy. And I walked in and I had my arm around her. And I was kind of slouched in my chair and all those things. I was, you know, being a cool guy. But the uh, preacher was, you know, he was uh, preaching fire. And uh, he had a message, you know, and that message just hit me. And it was at a perfect time. A friend was killed in a drunk driving accident like a week before. I was really just at a bottom and I was really searching. I was starting to slip back into some old ways. And I just heard about Christ and his word like I never heard before. And uh, it just transformed me. And I wanted, I knew that this is what I needed. I knew that this is what I wanted. And uh, after hearing three messages, I was begging the pastor to baptize me. There I was with my pierced ears, my bleach blonde hair, my baggy pants, and I was telling him I needed to be baptized. And uh, they baptized me. And uh, I kept going to church. I was really rough around the edges, and I didn't really uh, fit in. But I kept going, and there was a slow transformation in my life. And eventually they said, you know, Matthew, you need to go to school. It was Caribbean folks, so they said, Matthew, Matthew, <laughs> Matthew, you need to go to school. You need to be a pastor. I said, a pastor? I was a DJ, actually. I got into DJing. I was like, a pastor? Are you crazy? I used to throw out the applications they would send me for school. And then uh, eventually I started to see it for myself. And I uh, worked with some people, a Bible worker at, at the church that was well-known and doing some great work. And... He, he helped me and showed me like ministry activities that I could get involved in. And I just developed this passion. And I, I experienced transformation in my life where I didn't need those things anymore. And I was healed and I, I was freed. And uh, I had no desire for those things. And I was a new person and, and I wanted to share that. And, um, and that's what I've done ever since. You've been a pastor now how long? Uh, I've been a pastor for 10 years. And uh, that includes my time at the seminary. And it's been an amazing journey, you know. Um, I've uh, had amazing experiences. You know, we've done some work together. Yes, we have. And just traveled different parts of the world and uh, a lot of preaching, you know, sharing God's word. And uh, just seen a lot of lives changed in the process. And it's an amazing journey because I know how weak I am. I know how weak I was and continue to be. I know that it's only the mercy of God that I'm here. And even there's times I stand up to speak, I'm nervous, I'm broken, but uh, God uses me sure and it's amazing. Yeah. Well, he's used you today and in half an hour isn't enough time to do justice mm -hmm. to your story. But 
I want to close this segment with a word of prayer because I know there's someone out there being touched by your, mm -hmm. your story right for now. Sure. Gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Matt's testimony and what you have done in his life. Father, I pray that for those that right now are listening to this story and are saying, I want that in my life, may your Holy Spirit touch them and transform them. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, here at uh, Lessons for Living Television, we're always trying to find uh, resources to help you in your, in your journey to, to Jesus. And um, I have a special offer for you today. It's this little book. It's called Steps to Jesus. It's a wonderful book. And uh, if you're watching us today and you would like this book, either for yourself or for a friend, we want to send it to you free of charge, postage page, no obligation on your part whatsoever. Here is the information you need to order your copy of Steps to Jesus. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. There you will find the links to download a video and transcript of this program. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030 Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G0A3. And we would be happy to send the offer out to you. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you could order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Operators are standing by now. While on our website, you can leave a prayer request and if impressed to do so, donate to help keep this ministry on the air. Thank you for your support. Well, I, I know you've enjoyed today's program with, uh, with Pastor Matt. And uh, Pastor, thank you for uh, sharing with us. You know, half an hour isn't always enough time <laughs> to get all this, but folks can come and visit you at your church. That's right. Uh, give them the website so they can get the directions and uh, find out where you're gonna, when you're going to be there. Okay, the website is uh, www.kinesafellowship.com. And Kinesa is K-A-N-I-S-A. Okay. We're going to have that link on our website, l4ltv.com, and there you can find where I will be appearing live. Uh, if you're looking for a Bible study group, it's there. You can uh, also send prayer requests. We're getting daily prayer requests uh, from folks that uh, are going through challenges in life and want to have somebody praying. Now, if you call us on our 1-800 number, I just ask that you be a little patient because the volunteers are maybe handling other calls. And so we may not be able to get to yours right away. You may have to go into voicemail. Leave a voicemail, don't worry. And we'll follow up with you just as soon as we can and have prayer with you or uh, find out what it is that you need. If there's some resources, if you're looking for a Bible study group, 
all of that stuff we can do. Um, I want to thank Pastor Matt again for being here. Thank you so much. And I want to thank you, uh, our viewers that have tuned in, and you do so every week. Our prayer is that the good Lord will allow us the opportunity to be back again next week. And I hope you'll join us. We'll see you back here real soon.